Hello, and welcome to the Ketogenic Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Temple Stewart. I'm a registered dietitian, ketogenic weight loss specialist, wife, and mom. My keto solution method empowers women to lose weight by teaching them how to work with their body instead of against it. This method provides a step-by-step process to teach you how to successfully lose the weight you want while avoiding being hungry, miserable, and bored. It's a whole food approach that teaches you weight loss for a lifetime. Every few weeks, I discuss a topic that will help you understand the ketogenic diet a little bit better and give you practical tips on following it successfully. So I decided to do something a little bit different today. Um, And the the topic of this podcast isn't going to be anything related to keto. I just feel like as Um, The ketogenic nutritionist, and you guys are my followers and audience, I just wanted to tell you guys why I've been so missing in action. So I figured it was worth it. Plus, it helps me to talk about it. Um, And so the topic of today's episode is going to be my birth story and our stay in the NICU. So I just want to give that disclaimer right now. If if that's triggering for anyone or causes any issues for anyone, um, it was not necessarily a, a great time for me. And so I just want you to be aware of that before you listen. And um, especially if you're pregnant or going into to labor and delivery, not everybody's story is diff- uh, the same. And I just wanted you guys uh, to hear mine and and um, and get a good glimpse of, of why I have not posted a podcast in months, it feels like. So let's go ahead and get into it. If you followed me on here or on Instagram for any length of time, I kind of documented my story the whole time of pregnancy and um, following a ketogenic diet, a modified ketogenic diet during pregnancy. And I kind of let you guys in on that little window of my life. And so for those of you that don't know, my I was supposed to give birth at a birthing center. So there's a really great accredited birthing center here in, in Largo uh, around Clearwater, Florida. Um, and they have an incredible reputation there awesome, awesome, awesome at, at what they do. And and my plan was to have an unmedicated birth at the birthing center um, just around the corner from my house. So just a little background on my pregnancy. It was awesome. So I worked out the entire time. I ate really well. I didn't have any of the symptoms that you would uh, have or what you hear in pregnancy. I didn't crave things. I didn't go on any sweet or sugar, salty binges. I really ate well. I gained just around 24, 25 pounds, um, but it was it was completely normal weight. I felt great. My blood pressure was incredible the entire time. Um, I had I had incredible blood sugar the entire time. I just really want to say, and I'm not bragging on myself, but it really was picture perfect. Like I was really, really trying to do the best I could to have a healthy pregnancy because I was really, really wanting to give birth at this birthing center. So naturally you you tend and and my personality, I just tend to want to do everything the right way. So I really, really tried. Um, all my ultrasounds came back great. There was just absolutely no hint at anything being off or weird or um, wrong with the baby. And um, it, it was great. And honestly, I can't even complain. Um, the pregnancy, I, I felt good. So anyways, fast forward a little bit now that you know the backstory of my pregnancy. Um, I didn't want an epidural. I didn't want Pitocin. I didn't want any of those medications and not necessarily because I think that they're bad. I just really um, love the idea of being able to give birth naturally and unmedicated the way that God, uh, you know, intended. And and, um, and I'm not saying he didn't intend to uh, use epidurals and Pitocin. That's not what I'm saying. I just really wanted to try an unmedicated birth. So I don't feel like I need to explain that anymore. But 
that was my goal. And so, um, just after 38 weeks, I went to my workout class. I, I did go to workout classes at the Y every day. And I went to my workout class and as I was leaving, I was, I was pretty sure I felt my water break a little bit. Not, not, not like you see in the movies, just like a little bit. So, um, I remembered my midwife telling me, make sure you call up here and, um, we can talk through it or, or test to make sure it's your water as, as there's a time limit after it breaks, as you guys know. So anyway, I went into the office. Um, she called me in because it was hard to tell, uh, just to, just to check and, and test. And, um, I hadn't had any contractions or anything, but my, I did feel like my water had, had broken a little bit. So I went into the office and as I'm like getting the test for it, it full on just breaks. It was insane. It was absolutely insane. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that because it was just a very high amount of water. And so anyway, I call my husband and he comes in, um, he comes home from work and we, we kind of were gathering things and, and mind you, I'm at a birthing center. When you have a baby, you go home in like four hours. So it's not like the hospital where you have to stay there for 48 hours. You go home really quickly from a birthing center. So I had absolutely no bag packed or anything of that nature was really preparing to like have the baby that day or that night and come back, be home. Um, tomorrow, the next day, we hadn't made any arrangements for our dogs or anything of that nature. And so Anyway, my husband came home from work and um, we tried to run out and grab a couple things because it was 38 weeks. I, I should have been more prepared than I was, to be honest. But you know that they say with your first baby, oh, you're going to go longer than 40. And so I really wasn't expecting to go into labor um, at 38 weeks. But either way, it was fine. So we ran out and grabbed a couple of things. And by this time I was having like regular contractions, um, not regular, but like they were definitely um, they were definitely starting to be able to get timed and, and we're happening, cons happening consistently. So I tried to labor at home as long as possible, but then it started to get relatively painful. And, um, I just started wanting to be around some medical professionals. So, you know, a couple hours later, mind you, this all happened at nine in the morning. So a couple hours later, I, I would say we went into the birthing center around 11 or 12. Um, and I labored all day. So I labored all the way, till 11 ish or so at night. And towards the end there, it got really rough. If I'm being completely honest, I was having a really hard time working through the contractions. They were really starting to feel like they were back to back. I was relatively dilated at that point. I, I believe, um, I believe eight or nine centimeters and, but the baby wasn't moving and we were trying everything. I mean, I was switching positions. I was getting in and out of a tub. I was um, doing uh, using a birthing ball. I mean, you name it, those midwives were having me do it and they're incredible. And we were doing everything we could to get that baby to, <laughs> to get baby to move down. And it, and it just wasn't happening. And, um, I started to get like a little, not fearful, but, um, at a birthing center, it's a little bit different than at the hospital. So at a birthing center, your baby is not necessarily monitored as closely and as often, and you're not as monitored as closely and as often as you are in the hospital with the belly bands and all that other stuff. In, in the birthing center, they check pulses and heart rate and all of that every, every, I believe it's 15 minutes. Don't quote me on that, but they do that at the birthing center. So I started to get a little uneasy, I would say around 11-ish at night, um, just because I had, I had been pushing for so long and nothing was really progressing and I was starting to just really like feel terrible and awful. And I can remember like 15 minutes after that, after I, I started having those feelings, um, the, the midwife looked at me and she was like, hey, Temple, you know, I'm not really sure what's going on, but um, you do need to consider a, a possible emergency transfer to the hospital. And you know, and your options there will either be 
Um, if you go now, your options will be potentially still have the baby naturally. If not, you could potentially be rushed straight to the OR for a C-section. And in my mind, um, obviously that was scary. And I, I really wanted to continue to try um, birthing at the the birthing center and, and having the baby there. But it, at that point, it, it, it becomes less about me, more about the baby. Right. And, um, and I was more concerned about the safety of the baby. I didn't want to have a C-section. Um, and so I decided after briefly glancing at my husband who affirmed me, um, that it, that it was time to go to the hospital. And so, you know, you don't, you don't ever want that. And I know that there are a lot of people out there that, you have the idea of, of your birth and, and you want it a certain way. But in my mind, um, I was always open to whatever happened and whatever was safest for baby. I didn't, I didn't care what that meant. If that meant not having her at the birthing center, that's fine with me. I'll go to the hospital. And so anyway, at, at 1130, um, EMS arrived, which was really funny because it was, and they were so good. It was like a team of five guys and, or four guys. And, and, and they put me on the stretcher at this time, I'm having full contractions and, these poor guys, I felt, I know, I'm sure they've seen it all. So, but anyway, it was a little embarrassing for me to be um, having full and really super intense contractions while being like wheeled into the ambulance. And I can remember um, the midwife, them saying, oh, no, 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 you can't come. And my husband, they're like, no, 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 you can't come. And and I, I don't remember because I was in literally in labor, but um, somehow the midwife or my husband said, okay, well y'all handle it if she has a baby in the ambulance. And I can remember them changing their mind pretty quick. So the midwife was able to come and my husband was able to get on because of the graciousness of the, the ambulance driver. So that all was good because at that point it was a little scary in terms of like, okay, I'm now getting in a hospital, uh, an EMS an ambulance and I'm, I'm going to be going to a hospital. I don't know the team. I don't know the nurses. I know nothing. And I can remember being wheeled through, you know, you go in through the emergency room, you get wheeled in front of all these people. And oh, man, it was just, I don't I don't even know how to explain it. But it's just like, oh, I wanted to hide. And finally, I got up to the the room that I was gonna have the baby in. And um, I was feeling still awful in terms of having these terrible, intense contractions and baby wasn't coming. Um, And, and the OB on on call that night came in and, and kind of gave me my options. And really pushed for an epidural and um, Pitocin. Because at this point, I would say my contractions had slowed down. I had been sitting straight up in the um, sitting in the ambulance, which is not a great and conducive position to birth a baby. So they had slowed a little bit. And so the OB really pushed for an epidural. And at this point, I was like, heck yeah, let's just do it. Um, and and there's no shame and no guilt in getting an epidural or Pitocin, anyone listening. Um, you, I gave it my best shot to do it naturally. And I may try again one day, but man, when they gave me that epidural, let me tell you what, it was like a game changer. And, um, I don't know how you guys feel about that, whether you, whatever fence you, you reside on, but the epidural helped immensely talk about a complete mood shift in in the room. The only thing that I, that I could say was just a little bit frustrating is, is all the COVID procedures and I understand them, but, um, it'll be a good day when, when that goes away and, and you're no longer having to wear a mask in labor. And so anyway, after, after that intense long day, baby Myers came to the world at three 20 in the morning. So I ended up pushing at the hospital for about three and a half hours, which honestly with that epidural, it didn't even feel like that. I was, I felt ready, ready to go and I felt good and it was no big deal. So, and 
So we, everything was good. She checked out great. She, her heart and breathing, everything that you could, you could have as a baby, she was doing great. And, um, she was precious and my husband cut the cord. It was just picture perfect. I, I, even though it was a little traumatic in terms of the transfer and all of that, um, I, when she finally got here, nothing else in the world mattered. And so Anyway, we did our 48 hours uh, or 36 or whatever it was in the hospital and we went home. She was doing incredible. Let me tell you, all she latched, she was eating, she was just being a newborn baby and, and being great at it. And um, so we, we were at home for two or three days and um, I can remember waking up um, on a Tuesday morning and thinking, okay, let's maybe venture out and go pick up some food, put her in her car seat, go and come right back and... um. And, and, you know, get me out of the house. Cause at this point the, you know, the baby blues are real. I was just, I just needed to like get outside. So, um, we get in the car and I can remember this. Um, and I'm thinking about it now and it, it really does. It kind of makes me, uh, my heart feel a little funny, but, um, I can remember her crying in this very strange, high pitched, abnormal cry that I hadn't heard her cry. Um, even, even coming out of, uh, being like newborn and, and birth. I didn't, it, it was just a, a very, very odd cry. And I can remember kind of getting like my stomach a little sick, just thinking uh, it's sick right now, thinking back to it, but, um, it was very high pitched and it was just didn't sound right. And so I was kind of, and, and it, and it, she just wouldn't stop. Um, and I, I told my husband, Oh wait, fast forward. I'm skipping part of the story. So that was on Tuesday on Monday, we had visited the pediatrician, you know, for your like newborn visit to check everything out. And I remember the nurse uh, saying, Oh, she's, she's really struggling um, to like breathe, not in like a scary way, but she has what we call, they call a pectus excavatum um, where it, it's like the chest didn't develop correctly. And so it looked like she was kind of sucking her chest in a little bit when she was breathing. And the nurse was like, Oh, that's really interesting. We'll have the pediatrician check it out. And I, it, that was the first day that that had happened, that weird breathing. And then on Sunday night, she, she was real fussy throughout the night. Um, but on Monday when we were at the pediatrician, I remember thinking, Oh, that's really strange. And the pediatrician checked her out and was like, yeah, she des definitely has this pectus excavatum where it's just like a kind of a sunken in chest. And that's why it looks like she's breathing hard. He, he listened to her lung sounds, her heart, all of that checked out and it was great. So that was all on Monday. So fast forward again to what I was telling you guys about Tuesday, about the high pitch cry and all of that. And, um, anyway, so we, we come back home and thinking, okay, maybe the car was just too much. Maybe the car seat was just too much and she's just not happy. And, um, and so we lay her down in the bassinet and I can remember I was doing something in the restroom, brushing my teeth or something. And my husband like picked her up out of the bassinet and walked her to me. Um, and she was just like limp and gray. And when I, when I say it's the most horrifying feeling on planet earth, that was the most horrifying feeling on planet earth is seeing your, your child, um, and knowing immediately something is not right. Um, something is just not right now at this point, she was still breathing. Um, but it was very shallow and it was, it was clearly, um, a lot scarier than what we had seen on Monday and definitely what we had seen on that morning. And so immediately we got into the car and took her to the ER and, um, praise the Lord, the ER is less than five minutes from my home. And I can remember, um, sorry, I'm trying not to cry because it's intense, but I can remember kind of getting into the, the ER and 
people are looking at you, right? Because there's not a lot of newborn babies in the ER. Um, if anybody's ever had the terrible experience of being in there, there's not a lot of newborns. And I can remember everyone looking at us and the, and the, the staff kind of like, not bug-eyed, but like definitely rushed us to get into a room. And so we get into the room and, and when I say in my mind, when we were driving there, I'm thinking, oh, there's, this is not a big deal. Um, she's going to be fine. Um, her, it's just like a virus or something like, you know, you don't, I don't, I know nothing about newborn medicine. So I'm just thinking in my head, oh, it must be this or that, or or, it's going to be no big deal. We're just going to take her to the ER and, and they'll probably send us to the pediatrician and then send us home with antibiotics or whatever. And, um, I can remember walking back, um, and seeing the faces on, on the nurses and, and, and the hospitalist, the, or the, the ER doctor. And I can remember distinctly thinking, okay, this is not, this is not good. Um, and this is scary. And I can remember when we got into the ER, her oxygen saturation was like 50. Um, and she just wasn't, she was looking awful, awful. And, um, when I say it was absolute chaos, it was absolute chaos. People were rushing around trying to find newborn, um, IVs and all these things, um, and, and, and oxygen, uh, like nasal cannulas and all these things. And, um, it was, when I say that was probably the worst, moment of my life that was probably the worst moment of my life in terms of just it's just very scary and you have no idea what's going on and the ER is scary and um you know when you see other people kind of panicking then it it increases your panic times a bajillion especially as a new mom and so anyway that uh, I don't want to talk about that much more because I probably will cry but that was a super super intense moment and um I can remember just sitting there and standing there with my husband like feeling completely in shock and not, not even knowing what to think. And, um, eventually when they got her stabilized and they got her breathing a little bit better and her O2 sats were up and, and her, her blood pressure was down, they, they sent us up to the NICU and of the same hospital. And, um, they, they ran a bunch of tests and, and by this time it's, it's seven or eight at night. I, I, we had been there since two in the afternoon and, um, they're running all these tests and we just had no idea. And this was complete mystery of what's going on. And, and, um, the, the doctor kind of pulls me aside and is like, look, there's, there's a, a couple things this could be. And she was like, it could be something, a heart abnormality, um, or it could be this thing called a congenital chylothorax. And, and she was really saying like, um, we're, we're really not, uh, properly equipped to treat this here. You can either transfer to John Hopkins or you can go to, um, another hospital in Tampa, um, that has a higher level, higher level NICU and, um, you know, I can just remember thinking like, what on earth is happening? Like what is happening? And, um, why, why is this happening to us? And everything was fine, um, before I had the baby, like what is happening? And so they, we, we chose which NICU we wanted to go to and, and they told us transport would come get her. And so we had to wait on an ambulance and we followed the ambulance over to the, to the new hospital. And, um, I can remember the first night there staying in the NICU, you're just terrified and she's hooked to, IVs and tubes and tube feedings and all of these things that you just never want to see a newborn. She's like four days old at this point, And you're just like, okay, I can't breastfeed her. I, I have to sit here and listen to her cry. At, at this point, I couldn't even hold her because she had to have chest tubes placed because they knew that there was fluid on her lung. Um, and so she had chest tubes, which if you know anything about a chest tube, that is an incredibly painful experience. So not only does she have chest tubes, but she's on morphine and painkillers and you're just watching your child go through all these things and you're literally helpless. I mean, it, it, it's just, 
the worst the worst feeling especially when you know nothing about a, a chylothorax and you know nothing about the treatment options and you know nothing about the prognosis and um so the first night was really rough and they ended up draining like 80 um cc's off of her lungs which is a, an insane amount of fluid for for a newborn to have on her lung and no wonder she couldn't breathe and Anyway, I don't, I don't want to bore you too much with with the rest of the month long stay that we stayed in the NICU, but it was a it was just like a it was a nightmare. It was it was a bad um it was like being on a bad roller coaster. And you know, one day she's doing great, the next day she's you know having bilious vomit, and you know one day she's doing great, and the next day the fluid comes back, and then one day she's doing good, the next day she clogged a chest tube, and they have to put a new one and one day she's doing good. And then just, it was just this terrible, terrible up and down swing. Um, that was really, it would really make you crazy. And, and you feared every, and I don't want to say the word fear because I have a strong faith. And, and I knew that, I knew that, um, that God loved my baby more than I did and that he was going to take care of her. But there is a level of, um, you know, anxiousness that you have when your child is, is essentially in critical care. And I just remember, um, it just being like, we felt like we were spinning our wheels and getting nowhere. And, and, and I just want to say the staff at this hospital, it was it's called St. Joe's and it's in Tampa, Florida and women's hospital, um, was absolutely incredible. And, and I have nothing but kind words to say about them. Um, they were, they were phenomenal. And, and, um, I really felt like we we're in the best hands possible at that point. And, you know, after about 20 days of this up and down, kind of getting nowhere, she's still getting sick. She's still sick. She still can't breathe. She's still, the fluid's still returning. Um, my husband and I were driving over the bridge and I can remember getting a call from a surgeon and he said, you know what, Temple, um, I really, we're going to have to place a new chest tube. This one's failing. Um, I really feel like this is time. Uh, we, we really need to do like an emergency surgery. And um, because what was happening was is the fluid continued to return and eventually it was going to put her back into respiratory distress. And so I'm thinking in my head, oh, great, here we go. You know, um, one, one, one thing on top of another. And, and um, this is just the icing on the cake. And, um, you know, again, I have nothing to, but good things to say about the staff. This surgeon comforted us. He talked on the phone with us. We were still about 20 minutes away from the hospital. He said he would wait in a, the room for us to get there and, and describe it and talk about it. And um, essentially what happened was we went to the hospital and, and decided that, hey, this is our next route because the worst thing you could do is wait on it and then still eventually need it. And then now she's in respiratory distress having an emergency surgery. So at this point she was stable and things were looking good. So we sent her on to emergency surgery and, and this, this surgeon, his name's um, Dr. Geisler. Um, and, and I say that because he's phenomenal. And so I, I would, I would have him operate on my kid a hundred times over if it was necessary. I, I trusted him and, and he was very, very clearly capable of what he was doing. And, um, the surgery went great. And this was the, the first glimmer of hope we had this entire experience. The surgery went great. She was recovering well. There was no longer fluid coming from the chest tubes of her lungs, um, we had to still wait there a couple of weeks because they wanted to make sure and triple sure that this fluid wasn't going to return. And they um, just continued to feed her and continued as uh, she continued to progress. And so um, I tell all, I tell all of you this because one, I believe um, that sharing your story can be so impactful if someone else is walking through this and a congenital chylothorax 
is a very, very rare thing, especially to happen spontaneously after birth. And essentially what it is, is there's a duct that goes through your chest cavity or your, it's the thoracic duct and, and hers, it's a leak. And um, it leaks into the the space between the lung and the chest wall. And, and that's how it collapsed her lung. And um, again, it's very rare and it, it doesn't happen often. And they don't even know really what causes it when it does happen spontaneously like that. So I think sharing the story is good because um, if there's anyone out there that's listening, that's going through that, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm, I'm happy to, to walk through that with you as well as just being in the NICU. The NICU is, uh, it's not necessarily a fun place. Um, it, it's, it, it's amazing. Um, the tiny babies that they can keep alive. I've never in my life been so amazed by, uh, modern medicine than being in the NICU. And anyway, I'm rambling on, but what I want to say is thank you for listening to this. Um, I, I tell people this because I want people to know that one trauma is real Two, Um, it affects your life. Three, you can absolutely get over it. Um, and four is that faith is, is essential and community is essential. And I, um, saw God's hand in this story the entire way. And it really amazed me, um, just the way that he provided and took care of us and all the prayers that were coming from our church community and our, our family and our friends. And, um, we really did feel a peace that surpasses all understanding. And, um, I just, I'm so thankful that, that she's happy and she's healthy and she's breastfeeding, um, exclusively now. And, um, while that was a blip in our life, I will never forget it. And, and I think that, um, I'm a stronger person because of it, definitely a stronger mom because of it. And I just wanted to share that with you because, um, yeah, that that's where I've been. I've been in the NICU. I've been um, in the ER and I gave birth to a baby and I've been trying to figure out what it's like to have a newborn. So I appreciate you listening to this. Thank you um, for, again, being being a part of my audience. I, I value you all. And um, the next the next podcast is going to be all about keto and I look forward to recording it. So until then, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Um, take care. Um, I'm still enrolling in my group weight loss program. So if you're interested in that, please reach out. You can find it in my link in bio, both Instagram and TikTok. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Take care.